Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that the Gurugay people in Ethiopia raised something called zebu. These are cattle that are mostly kept for their butter, and the typical household has a huge amount of spiced butter aging in clay pots that hang from the walls of their huts. By the way, this would be like Disneyland for me. And for, for this tribe, butter is believed to be medicinal, and the gurage often take it internally, or they even use it as a lotion or a poultice. And a proverb in that tribe says, a sickness that has the upper hand over butter is destined for death. <laughs> they use uh, different species of ensente, or actually I'm probably saying that wrong, acet, uh, which is commonly known as an Ethiopian banana, are also part of how they alleviate illness because that would have a lot of fermentable fibers to feed healthy bacteria in the gut. So it's kind of cool that you have uh, a whole people who realized, oh, butter has interesting stuff in it, probably mostly butyric acid and vitamin K2, and you got to have some fermentable fiber. And if you're all keto all the time, uh, the way I certainly have experimented with when I was writing the Bulletproof Diet, uh, I think there might be something to be said for having some fermentable fibers so you have a healthy gut bacteria. And you're not going to get that from one serving of vegetables a day or an all-meat diet. When I tried that, I gave myself food allergies. So I'm a huge fan of keto. I always have ketones present because I use brain octane. But I don't eat no fermentable carbs. And even if I lived in this amazing tribe in Ethiopia, I still would be eating fermentable carbs along with my butter. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Before we get into today's show, speaking of that strange combination of amazing fats and a fermentable fiber, if you have not tried the new flavor of Bulletproof Collagen Bars, we have chocolate chip cookie dough and mint chocolate chip. These things are over the top, amazing. Uh, they're, they're the best tasting bars, not just I've ever created, that I've ever eaten. And yes, I'm the CEO, so maybe I'm just saying that to sell you, except I'm not. They're that good. When you try one, you're going to know what I'm talking about. And you look at one of the top ingredients in these bars, it's inulin fiber, which is a fermentable prebiotic source that your body can use or the bacteria in your body can use to grow. So even though you're getting the ketones from the brain octane or XCT oil that's in the bar, you're also getting these fermentable fibers. So if you haven't tried these new flavors, seriously, it's like dessert, except you're full when you eat it and it's awesome and amazing. Go to bulletproof.com and check out the mint chocolate chip and chocolate chip cookie dough bars. And today's guest is a guy who was on stage at the Bulletproof 5th Annual Biohacking Conference in Pasadena. And he talked about something that I was really glad to bring to our attention as biohackers, and it's generational toxicity. In other words, what's going on with you, even if you're performing really well, but not as well as you want, it's probably what your mom and your grandma did. So that old blame grandma thing might have something to be, to be said for it. Uh, in my case, uh, both of my grandparents actually uh, worked in Los Alamos, New Mexico on the uh, basically nuclear engineering programs on nuclear power and things like that. And my grandfather was exposed to almost every element 
on the periodic table and was one of the guys who helped to co-discover americium, one of the short-lived radioactive isotopes. You want to know why I'm so weird as a biohacker? Maybe it's radioactive multi-generational toxicity. And to dive deeper on that and all this, I've got a guy here for you. This is Dr. Dan Pompa, who's a big leader in health and wellness. And he's looked at all these things like weight loss resistance, like when I couldn't lose the 100 pounds of fat I had, thyroid, diabetes, chronic fatigue syndrome, but I want to talk specifically with him today about what the toxins in our environment are doing for our performance now, later in our lives as we get old, and hopefully don't die of chronic degenerative diseases, but also what they do to our kids and our grandkids. So Dr. Pompa, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was hard for me not to chime into those intros. Those are <laughs> those are some great topics. I it was I, We could have stayed right there and I'd have been happy. That was great. And you made me laugh as well. Awesome. So. Uh, so people who are are super biohackers uh, or just really interested in next level performance might have seen you at the conference, you know, a few thousand people, but this is a much bigger group of people who might not be familiar right. uh, with, uh, with your work on this. Uh, what got you into, as a physician, looking at something that's almost considered like unimportant or, right. or just kind of freaky zone uh, to most doctors now like, like this like low level toxicity thing like like how did what woke you up to this uh, yeah pain to purpose story i i didn't say this is a great idea uh it didn't happen that way i, I got very sick I, I was actually in the best physical shape of my life i was training for these bike races and racing at the expert level and fatigue hit so like most of your listeners that are athletes would say i'm overtraining, and i took time off the bike and came back and i was actually worse, if anything. And I went from fatigue to insomnia to panic attacks to my adrenals were shot. I couldn't even deal with like loud noises, let alone any stress. Uh, my thyroid was gone. I mean, my, my hair was thinning. I mean, all these things were happening that unexplainable, had no clue why. It took me some years to figure it out. I mean, in that process, I was downstream like most people trying to help my adrenals, my thyroid, my hormones. And uh, I was getting skinny fat. I was losing muscle, gaining fat. I mean, all these things that you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I, I experienced every one of them. And you know, in it, I was led to the answers that I teach today. So that's the pain to purpose experience. So that's you know what inspires me about the topic. A lot of the the guests who've been on the show who have really gone on to discover new and important things that matter that that no one ever noticed before had to deal with. Okay. I'm skeptical of these things, or it's not a part right. of what I'm I'm taught as I'm going through uh, a training in in healing, uh, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, geez, I hit a wall, and and you realize the patients who are coming in who are sick and don't get better, the typical doctor is like, oh, they're actually lying to me. I know they're eating yeah. Snickers bars every day, like it, like clearly it's a compliance thing, or they just have something like let's put them on antidepressants, like they're wacky. It's told to me, uh, me yeah. too, right? <laughs> Okay. What did, what did you, so, okay. So you went to, you know, your doctor and you're like, I'm feeling like crap. And like, what happened? Like, kind of walk me like, what did mm -hmm. it feel like? Yeah. I, I, what you just said happened to me. Right. So it, the very frustrating part, I would go and my blood work would be relatively normal. It was very frustrating. I mean, honestly, I, it, I wish, you know, cancer would have showed up because I, at least yeah. I would know what I was up against. Right. And that didn't happen. So when that blood work shows up normal, even my thyroid blood work, even though I had all these thyroid symptoms, uh, of course, then you're told it's all in your head. And uh, it was in my head, all right. Uh, you know, the, the toxicity of mercury was in between my ears is what it ended up. 
you know, and, and it, but unfortunately it took me three or four years, uh, to figure that out. But in it, uh, you know, I learned a lot through the process, but you know, it, it, uh, it all had started few days as it turned out after I got two silver amalgam fillings drilled out, as you know, your audience probably knows that, uh, you know, m they're 50% mercury, but you know, I was building up the mercury in my tissues even before that. Um, obviously I had a mouthful of amalgams and even when they removed those two, I still had at least six others. They put gold in, which created galvanism. It's called, it's basically a battery effect, right? You have two opposing metals and an acid <laughs> and yep. that created a current the, the mercury was pouring out, but uh, I wore contact lenses in the, uh, you know, basically through the seventies, eighties and early nineties, it had mercury in the saline solution. And I was putting that directly into my brain. So multiple sources. But as I looked back, uh, as today's topic, you know, a lot of it also came from my mom. Um, and so generational toxicity plays a role, even for those who are listening to this, that don't have the sources that I had. That just added to my bucket overflowing. Uh, but, you know, that's that's what happened in a nutshell. My very first book was called The Better Baby Book. And, and it was, what do you do before and during pregnancy to have the healthiest possible kids? And I looked really deeply into epigenetics and what we what we know, what we don't know, what we think might work. I'm like, well, let's just do all these for my kids. But it's actually for my grandkids, who I think the that's biggest right. impact might be. Uh, because you know my my kids are paying for what my wife's background was before she got pregnant, and for her mom, and for my mom, and it's not like dads don't have a role here, but there's more of a maternal problem with this than there is uh, paternal. Although the, mm. the quality of the father's sperm is is definitely influenced by environmental toxins as well. Absolutely. So how did you go from all right? I hacked myself, and now you know you're full of energy and you're on stage all the time and helping a lot of people. How did you go from there? Uh, to looking at, you know, mothers and grandmothers and in, in traditional Native American stuff, you know, seven generations back, what what shifted your gears there? That's a, actually a great question. Uh, no one's ever asked it quite like that because there was a, a progression. You know, I, I learned, I got myself well, and then it led to where my wife started having different hormone challenges. I, I would say like most women. However, her mom had just died of breast cancer. Well, no, she was a breast cancer success survivor. And 10, 12 years later, because she never got to the cause, important message there, she ended up with uterine cancer and died two years after that. So because of that, we ran a 24-hour hormone test on my wife, urine collection for 24 hours. And her estrogen metabolites, one of which is very, very toxic, called 4-hydroxyestrin, was through the roof. And that is known to be linked to cancer. So especially breast cancer, she was going to end up just like her mom. Her methylation on this test was depleted. Now, your audience, methylation is used for a lot of really important things in the body, including detox and including detoxing toxic estrogens. So when this gets depleted, not only are you going to build up toxins, but you will absolutely build up toxic estrogen and turn on bad genes. So very important. So her methylation was very low. We were trying to support that. She didn't have the gene that would indicate that it would be hard to support. So she didn't have that SNP, but we couldn't get this methylation up. I ended up doing a heavy metal test on her and my mercury was off the chart and I had high lead. However, her lead was ridiculously off the chart. And so when we ended up addressing her lead correctly, then we were able to get her methylation up and then her hormone test, you know, 
came uh, next as being normal. But so here's how what ended up happening. My children who were raised perfectly, I mean, my children weren't vaccinated, born in home. I mean, unbelievable diet, nursed, the whole thing started getting some GI stuff going on. So we were surprised about that, of course. And I said, oh, I'm going to test their lead because I read that they get the number one source of lead is mom. Their lead was off the chart. They got it from her. My wife, guess where she got it? From her mom. As it turned out, that was her mother's hormonal uh, deterrent. So the bottom line is that's what got me interested in generational toxicity. And that's where it really it, it all started. And knowing now that mercury is generational, uh, the number of fillings, ladies, in your mouth is proportional on autopsy studies, how much is in the baby's brain. And that's the duress study. Now, what's happening here, and I'm, I'm kind of guessing about this because there's parts of, of, of the science of how mercury transmits that I don't know. So tell me if I'm wrong or right, but this is a yeah. hypothesis. So as the baby's brain is being formed, you have all these things that are attracted to the brain, like mercury and lead more into the bones and all that. Mm-hmm. So Correct. You, you have this you know, eight or so pound baby who comes out, maybe a little more, a little bit less. Um, but the baby's going to soon be a 75 or you know, 150 pound human. It seems like not that much mercury would be in there, but it's already concentrated in the brain and it never leaves. Is that kind of what's that, going on? That's exactly what's okay. going on. So when they looked at like the DRASH study, they the number of fillings in mom, they found it not just in the brain, but in specific parts of the brain, like the hypothalamus pituitary, which runs your endocrine system. And your adrenals, yeah. (laughs) Your adrenals, right. And by the way, when I was looking up down here trying to fix my adrenals and my thyroid, I realized certain things would get better, but certain things would get worse, like my sleep. I realized that this had to be something upstream in my pituitary hypothalamus. I just didn't know what. And then finding out that that's exactly where the mercury had bioaccumulated. And, and that's why a lot of people can't fix their hormonal challenges is because there's something further upstream, you know, that's really causing and driving the problem. Uh, you think people who are, you know, say pre-menopausal or you know, guys under 50, where we, we have a, quote, normal hormone decline, one that I'm not planning to experience, by the way, <laughs> um, but uh, like those are basically things that happen with aging. When people are having hormone problems before then, and it's an epidemic right now, the number of guys who are having erectile dysfunction, uh, testosterone levels, and heck for me, I, I had less testosterone than my mom when I was 26 years old. Mm-hmm. I, like I was crashed. So you think that that could be as a result of the effects of toxic metals? And I'm guessing maybe some of these other toxins uh, like Volto Organics and, and you know BPA and things like that, but that these are affecting the hypothalamus, which affects the pituitary, which affects the adrenals, which affects uh, pregnenolone and progesterone and estrogen and testosterone and all those things. So it's one of those three steps yeah. up kind of things. If you look at where toxins potentially can affect hormones, you realize this is the number one driver of the hormone epidemic, right? So you think of a cell. On every cell, there's the receptors to hormones, whether it's thyroid hormone, uh, leptin, insulin, testosterone, estrogen. So the, the hormones need to attach to these receptors to get their message in the cell so you feel good and normal. Here's the problem. Toxins make their way in and around these cells in the membranes because they're fat, so it pulls in the toxins. It blunts these receptors. It drives inflammation of the cell, which blunts the receptors. So it's like shouting at your kids. You know, you could shout louder, meaning taking more hormones, 
but evidently, you know, our kids listen less and less. <laughs> so everyone's taking bioidentical hormones, this hormone, and there's a time and a place. But the point is, is unless you get the cell to hear the hormones better, you know, it's not going to make you feel better. Okay, so that's one other place that toxins affect hormones. Here's another one. Let's use thyroid hormone as an example, but it could be many. You have to convert hormones from inactive forms to active forms. So doctors are giving T4, which is an inactive thyroid hormone. It needs to be converted into T3, which is active, which connects to those receptors on the cell. So in that conversion, most of it happens in the liver. Toxins affect the liver. Now you're not making the conversion. Here's the frustrating part. Your blood work can look normal because you're not converting. And just like if it's affecting the, uh, the receptors here at the cell, the blood work can look normal, but it's not getting its message in the cell. So this is a problem. In one more place it can affect is the fact that epigenetics, we know that toxins can turn on certain genes in utero, driving problems later. So I, I, what are four places that toxins can affect your hormones and obviously your health? It's almost like this is a word that's that's been misused. You had like the old Betty yeah. Ford clinic, you have to detox, <laughs> which means you've been drinking and right. smoking a little too much and maybe snorting some things. I, I feel like it's still a, almost a, a meaningless pejorative word uh, because agree. water can be toxic if you have too much of it. You know, you you basically get rid of all the salt in your body and then you die on mile 20 of the marathon. This actually happens for people yep. who drink too much, right? So Absolutely. water is toxic. What are the specific classes of toxins right. that are having these profound effects on our hormones, on our brains, on our biology? Let's look at three because I think people can understand these three. And as we discuss generational toxicity, you know, we have scientific literature that can support this. I already said that lead, the number one source of lead is mom. Our parents grew up in the lead generation. My wife got her lead from her mom, who probably got it from her grandmother, passed it into my children, who, if I didn't know what I know, would have had issues you know, throughout their life. So lead is no doubt a big player, even though 1978, we got rid of most of it in the environment. So if you live in a house before 1978, yeah, the dust in your house still has lead. So I'm not saying there's not exposures, but generationally, listen, Dave, you said something. You said that lead, most of it's stored in the bone and you're right. But what do we lose during pregnancy? It's very normal. <laughs> bone density. That's right. It's normal, but out comes the lead. That's why we see so much. Uh, so then lead is an issue. Mercury, big issue, right? Silver fillings, you know, we're inheriting lead or mercury from many different sources from mom. And again, this is what we find in the studies. Now here's a new problem. So there's a 2012 study, Stephanie Seneff, senior scientist at MIT. Yeah, she's been on the show. I, I, she's been on my show as awesome. well. Yeah, she's great. And yeah, she is great. Her 2012 study, she was the first to do this. Now it's, I think it's been proven out a few other times, but in the study, she showed that glyphosate, I'm sure you've talked a lot about this on your show, you know, the main active ingredient in Roundup sprayed on most of our food supply. It is allowing these metals, lead, mercury, and even aluminum to cross deeper into our tissues. Therefore, now we have a new problem. We're driving these metals that we're already exposed to deeper into the brain. She believes and others that it's leading to the dementia, the Alzheimer's, even as a part of the autism by they're saying 2032, one out of two boys, if the, you know, it stays the same right now. Look, it, this is a massive problem. So just lead, mercury, and glyphosate in this new generation, we're talking about something that we've never been exposed to like this, and it's going deep into the brain. The toxicity is here. 
I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't take supplements because I think I should get all my nutrients from my food. And the response to that, that I've had, I used to believe that myself as well. The response is, well, in that case, you should also get all of your toxins from mother nature. And so uh, the idea is we are exposed to more toxins now than we have been. And these are like real, well-identified biological poisons. Like I would say there's no debate that these are dangerous. There is debate about whether the levels we're exposed to is meaningful. However, if you look at a huge body of research, there shouldn't be any debate. The debate mostly comes from people who haven't looked at the research. That's right. But there's no way to avoid mercury. Like if you... If you eat, you're getting mercury. If you breathe, yes. you're getting mercury. You know, seafood has mercury, uh, and the same thing with other things. Is is your focus on teaching people how to remove these from the body, how to block them from coming in, how to be exposed less? Like, what are the things that listeners could do to say, mm-hmm. "All right, maybe I have a problem, or maybe I just don't want a problem." Like, like, what do you do about this? Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point, right? I I just drew this as you said that, and I'll talk about that in a second. But all of us. We could argue have a gif. That's a bucket, by the way. And we genetically have different size buckets, right? So if we started drawing exposures from utero that we're talking about here, and then vaccinations, over vaccinations, all the different exposures, then one day the bucket overflows, right? And that's when our symptoms start. You know, again, some people genetically can handle more than others. No matter what, your point is right. I mean, we're going to be from from the womb to the tomb exposed to toxins. Then the next question is, is how do we get it out of our bodies? I, I think most of your listeners like mine are, are very educated. They, they get that toxins are causing the hormone disruption, even weight loss resistance, uh, because, you know, the reason why people struggle to lose weight today, it's a hormone issue. But then we have to back up and say, what's disrupting the hormones? I think we address that already. <laughs> toxins are definitely the number one thing. Look, you know, people are doing more and more colon cleanses far infrared saunas, the 10-day herbal cleanse. I don't have a problem with any of those things. But if, unless you get up to the cell, you're not going to get well. Yes. That's where real detox is. So the cell has these abilities to detox itself. But the problem is, is these things start to shut down. If we don't fix that, if we don't fix the cell and its function to detox, that's not real detox. So again, you can do these things down here the colon cleanses, I like to call them poopers, right? When you, every health food store, right? I mean, they have all the colon cleanses, but unless we get to the cell, that's not real detox. So so you might be able to capture some things as the cells are excreting them. Uh, I I do things like charcoal and yet we make a charcoal. I love it. Uh, But you know, other things like bentonite clay and even cholestyramine, which is a prescription drug, because Mm -hmm. as your cells are detoxing, you don't want to be reabsorbed through the colon. It's like, there's a, there's a place for that stuff but it doesn't cause the cells to dump it. So if you don't do something to cause the cells to let go of the toxins or to be able to process them better, That's right. those things I think are, are very limited value. At least they have been right. in, in my own research, my own path. Yep. How do you fix the cells? I've been teaching for many years my five R's as, as a roadmap. And I teach doctors and have been blessed to teach many doctors my process. But my five R's became a roadmap of how you fix the cell and ultimately detox it. So the five R's, once we upregulate these cell functions, we'll start moving toxins out of the body. Now, here's a big failure in detox. People aren't using true real binders. So we have one that goes from the cell once we upregulate cell function via the five R's, and it carries the toxins out, most of which end up in the liver, and most of which end up about grabbed onto bile that you need to digest fat, 
So when you eat fat, the bile is dumped in your gut, which carries the toxins. And you mentioned carbon, which does a great job, at least of binding, at least uh, inorganic, or I should say organic toxins. Now, I like to take other binders to bind organics and inorganics. So we kind of use a multiple uh, types of binders that don't leave the gut. So when the liver dumps the bile, you have a catcher's mitt sitting in the gut so you don't reabsorb or auto-intoxicate. So that system is actually used. Look, uh, you know who I really did, you know, took this from is Richie Shoemaker years ago. Remember, you know who he is. He's the mold doctor, if you will. Oh, yeah. yeah, you mentioned cholestyramine. He used cholestyramine to bind up the biotoxins from mold patients. Yeah, that, that, was, yeah. that was how I discovered uh, cholestyramine. Absolutely was yeah. uh, his very first book. And I, I think we run the risk of, of sort of finding a problem, like everything is this problem. Yes. And like there's, mycotoxins are a huge thing. It's another uh, genotoxic multi-generational toxin, but it's like one of dozens of things you have to pay attention to if you're either recovering from something that just like you and me just knocked, knocked you out. Like my brain doesn't work, I'm tired, my hormones don't work and life is crap. Or you're like, I, I just, you know, I wanna continue performing at a really, really high level and then make it better. Either way, you you pay attention to those, but that binder works for way more than just mycotoxins. Oh, no, exactly. So I took that work, right? I said, okay, I don't want to ingest or have my clients or patients ingesting resin, you know, because as you know, cholestyramine, what he was using, worked great, but it, one of the side effects was severe constipation. Yep. So, And I don't want to ingest plastic for a long time. So, of course, we started developing other binders like you have as well that sit in there and act as the same thing, a catcher's mitt. But when we com- we started combining that with upregulating the cell function, using a real binder from the cell down, and then using the binder in the gut, that became a process, a core process of what we call true cellular detox. You do something that I, I've built into my work as well, which is increase pretty dramatically the amount of healthy undamaged fat Mm-hmm. Why does increasing fat have an effect on the cells and on bile flow? My R number two is regenerate the cell membrane, yes. right? regenerating the cell membrane. And really, which is, I, I feel like scientists understand this, or guys like you, more so than treating doctors. The key to detox really is this membrane. Yes. Uh, the membrane allows the good stuff in, the bad stuff out. Uh, the membrane also Bruce Lipton wrote the biology of belief. <laughs> yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I, it's so funny. I have the book sitting over here because I'm, I'm was pulling out a quote, but what, what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, what a guy, right? He was one of the first to show the membrane. If you don't fix the membrane, you're not going to turn off your bad genes, right? Epigenetics and that link. But the membrane is it's key. I mean, I, life starts and ends on the membrane. I, I love that saying. Um, but in it, I would agree with detox as well. If you don't fix the membrane, you're not going to really impact. And I don't want to just talk about the outer membrane of the cell, but the mitochondrial membrane, vital. Bioflow is a big thing in the Bulletproof diet. Like there's one of the reasons you want to do this. And then uh, fixing the membrane, you want to hack your mitochondria. That, that, I mean, Headstrong was all about that. And, and Mm -hmm. you're one of the few guys who's just openly out there saying membranes matter. You've got like Gilbert Ling and Gerald Pollack and, and a few other kind of unknown maverick scientists out there. Uh, but for people listening to this stuff, um, you, you got to understand these are the interfaces um, of of the cells in your body to the world around them. And if you have a, a gunked up interface, the mitochondria that sense the environment around you, they can't do it right and they'll make bad decisions. And if you fix it, 
it's like someone wiped all the you know the snow off your windshield and all of a sudden they can sense and react to the environment with way less energy and the extra energy they're not wasting goes back into your brain so you could do something useful and like that that matters for all of us oh man look I, I mean it's an epidemic of people with low energy and if you have low cellular energy you're not going to detox right that mitochondrial membrane is vital to the process of making ATP cell energy and detox then the endoplasmic reticulum that's where you fold proteins you are not a healthy human and by the way that's a lot of the membrane is right there so we're talking about membranes not just out of the cell but in the cell fats are critical you were one of the very first people to talk at least make more popular the fact that eating fats like saturated fats cholesterol you know, by the way, we talked about the hormone receptors on the cell. Those receptors ride on something called a lipid raft. That's a <laughs> that's a raft made of fat, folks. But okay? fat's bad for you. Oh, wait, except the yeah. body doesn't work without it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, that what stabilizes that hormone raft is cholesterol and saturated fats. What stabilizes the, the membrane for your vital life are these saturated fats and cholesterol. So, you know, adding that to your coffee, the bulletproof coffee in the morning does more than you actually think. Oh, and, yeah. and by the way, I don't want to, you know, omega-6 gets a bad rap. Omega-6, as it turns out, just so happens to be one of the key fats of fixing the membrane. Here's the problem. It's the key fat to fixing the membrane, but it's we're getting all adulterated omega-6 yes. and everything, vegetable oils, canola oils, everything, the corn oils. So it, I believe it's more important than even the omega-3 as far as fixing this membrane because we're all getting adulterated omega-6. So those are some of the key fats that we need. It's awesome that you're saying that because when I'm looking at, okay, how do I teach millions of people what to do who aren't going to go into biochemistry the way you or I might would? I'm like, generally minimize omega-6s because you don't get good omega-6s in your diet. They're, they're almost always bad. It's true. And then I, I'm like, how should you cook your food? Well, when you're cooking foods, you want to cook foods in a way that doesn't damage these delicate omega-6s or omega-3s. So if you do eat a whole food that contains omega-6s, which pretty much everyone does, if you cook it right, you don't deep fry it, you don't sear it, you don't char it, you don't bar barbecue it, you don't overcook it, um, then suddenly you are going to be getting enough omega-6 I don't see many bulletproof people get omega-6 deficient, but it's possible. If you're like, all I eat is brain octane and butter for the rest of my life, it's like, no, have some avocados, have some olive oil, like yeah. have some nuts, maybe not too many nuts because you know too many nuts have their own issue. But if you do that and they're not roasted and fried in peanut oil, you're probably going to be omega-6 sufficient or do you not agree with that? Uh, well, look, I, I, I believe that you're right in the sense that you know we're – you know, bombarded with adulterated omega-6 and everything that we're eating. I mean, even your roasted nuts, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's very fragile. Here's, you know, so I, I agree. I, I think that if we start eating, uh, the, you know, the better nuts, if you will, the raw nuts, if we start paying attention to what we're cooking food in, at least we're eliminating these adulterated uh, omega-6s, which are very damaging and dangerous to the cell membrane. But here's another threat is the fish oils that people are taking. Right. I mean, they're, they are so often damaged. Uh, and I know you agree with this because oh, yeah. I've heard you speak about it. Right. And, and, and even we have a gen, a new generation and, and those are the, this is most of our listening audiences 
we can even we're starting to see omega-3 dominance in the sense that people are taking so many fish oils that it's unloading a really important fat called cardiolipin it's an omega-6 fat in the uh, mitochondrial membrane so just something new to we, we need to watch out for as well but these fats are vital and they're important it it's so cool that we can talk about cell membrane composition and i I found a study when I was writing the Bulletproof Diet that showed it takes about two years for you to refresh the fat in your cell membranes. Actually, yeah. it was about the half-life, if I remember right. The half-life was two years. So in other words, if you start eating undamaged fats, including enough saturated fat and all these other fats, and you do it every day without eating crappy oils for two years, then you're going to see a shift. And I actually noticed this when I really went on Bulletproof Coffee to say, all right, well, what's going to happen if I'm doing 10 tablespoons of butter a day? I don't really know, but I'm going to track my blood levels. And if it's doing bad things, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to change things. And what I found is I couldn't get enough. And after about two years, I'm like, you know what? I got enough. And I went from you know six tablespoons of butter, and it was like just like, like a desperate need, to a tablespoon or two. Like, like I moderated this after I think I just detoxed and after I, my cell membranes got recomposed. Um, but along the way... Um, there was a time going back to the very beginning when I was really biohacking, like I'll buy a bottle of high-end fish oil and I'll just take three glugs. And I would like everyone listening to hear what you just said. I'm going to repeat it because it's that important. If you overdose on fish oils, it will mess up your cell membranes. You overdose yeah. on alpha GPC, you know, the, these uh, uh, things that are in almost all of the the smart drug formulas out there or whatever, nootropics, the, the supplemental forms. You take a lot of that stuff, it can disrupt your cell membranes. So it's yeah. about getting undamaged fat, first and foremost, and about the right ratios. And that leads to my next question. What are the right ratios according to your research between saturated fat, omega-3, omega-6? Like, what, Where's mm -hmm. your head at now? Uh, you know, when you look at the omega-6, omega-3 ratio, most of the organs in the body are around a, a four to one ratio of omega six to three. Yeah. Uh, but however, if we look at, if we put it all in context, it can be up to 11 to one. I think when you look in nature, you find one to one, you find a lot of different ratios, but you know, some of the studies show certain ratios can target certain things in the body. For example, four to one ratio seems to target most of the cell membranes. Four to one ratio seems to target the brain. You know, here's what you have to realize too, is the skin doesn't really have DHA receptors. You know, so when we're looking at skin issues, I've seen people overdose on uh, uh, omega-3 fish oil and actually end up having skin issues. And you know, you, so you have, to, you have to really be careful. These ratios are important. So I, I think when you look at the studies, I, I think that every ratio uh, you know, has some purpose because we have different cells that uh, you know, really have different ratios and different receptors. You know, the brain is different from the skin, the skin is different from the rest of the body. It's pretty amazing that this stuff isn't out in, in the mainstream, but it's also maybe, it's from my perspective, but it's also not that surprising because it's inconvenient. There's a body of researchers out there, mostly like 1970s era, you know, fat must be bad for us. You know, let's all eat a whole bunch of sticks and twigs and processed grains and let's drink limitless amounts of sugar water uh, because it has right. no fat in it. Uh, and so we have like this economic incentive to do that. What would happen if we shifted our food supply so that we had undamaged fats in all packaged foods? Like, like what impact would that have on the world? <laughs> yeah, oh gosh. Yeah, that's a, that's a massive impact uh, because as we're talking about the cell membranes is you know where life begins and ends. Uh, we're going to fix that. The brain between our ears, the brain in our gut, um, all of these are impacted by good fats and bad fats. You know, I used to do a, uh, 
uh, it was a PowerPoint that I had years ago, and I, I called it 102 days of dysfunction, meaning when you get exposed to these vegetable oils that, by the way, if you go into Whole Foods or other places, I mean, there's still, you have to read labels, you know, we know that. 102 days of dysfunction, meaning it integrates into your membranes, and it takes about 102 days for basically uh, your membranes to do the right thing. It's damaged for 102 days. I just read a recent study. It's probably more of like four and a half months. So maybe a better put would be 132 days of dysfunction, you know, when you're exposed to these bad oils, which by the way, I, I mean, some believe that it's more damaging than smoking cigarettes. I, and I'm one you know, of them. Yeah, I, me, me too. That it's, you know, these oils. And by the way, our audience, our healthy audience, this is where I feel like, you know, we, they go wrong you know, in the sense that we pay attention to a lot of really good things, but it's the oils. It's these yeah. hidden bad fats that are disrupting our cell membranes and therefore keeping us from the performance or the level of health that we, we deserve or trying to desire. But here's something you're listening right now. You're going, Oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. If you go to a restaurant and you eat the fried Brussels sprouts, 102 or 132 days. You eat the French fries. Oh, because I just had some alcohol and I just thought French fries would be good. Dude, don't eat fried stuff, especially yeah. at restaurants. It's it's worse than smoking. And yeah. smoking isn't a really good plan either. Uh, but honestly, if, if you really need a vice, maybe it's better to smoke than it is to regularly eat fried food. But seriously, like smoking is gross, but so yeah. is fried stuff. The fried calamari, right. I don't care if it's fancy and has Parmesan on it. Don't eat it. <laughs> All right, there we go. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's the there's the fat talk. So we we uh, we we align. All right. Uh, thank you for for sharing that, uh, Dr. Pompa. It's uh, it it's something that is just missing. Uh, going back to that question of what would happen in our food supply, I want to find out. Like that's one of the things I'm doing with Bulletproof. It's like I, I we'll disrupt the people who are trying to feed us bad fats mixed with cheap carbs because it just it doesn't work uh, for anyone. It never has. And if your mom ate that stuff, or mm -hmm. uh, we expect this is amazing. We get a coupon for buy one, get one free Whoppers uh, when I'm a kid. So, you know, let's go out and we'll celebrate. But, you know, I'm feeding my brain as a child with, you know, with junk fats. But no one knew back then. And the fats probably weren't as bad back then. But now, God, it's like if you're doing that even once a week, it's, it's a continuous drain. What mm. does that do to your ability to remove mercury or to remove these other toxins you talk about if you're uh, basically flush with bad fats? Well, you know, that's just it. I mean, my R number two is regenerating the cell membrane is critical for detox. It's critical for turning off bad genes. So you impair the cell's ability to function, and that impairs all of the detox pathways. And I talked about the endoplasmic reticulum. I mean, that's really one of the keys your cell uses for detox. Uh, and it's impaired so easy because the membranes are so fragile. My R number three, by the way, is reestablish, or I'm sorry, restoring cell energy. And that's the mitochondria. And that mitochondrial membrane is more fragile than the outer membrane of the cell. Mm -hmm. uh, R number five, just to skip to it so I can prove my point, is reestablishing methylation. I mean, look, all of these cell functions are critical for detox. Fat affects every one of them, directly or indirectly. So very, very important subject that most people don't understand. I, there's a picture on the wall back there, and you probably can't see it, but I actually have one here. So this is my this is my fam years ago. I don't know who that young guy is there, but <laughs> anyways, uh, these two we adopted later in life when they were seven. So this is right after the adoption. Actually, they're 21 years old now, so you could wow. give an idea of the picture. But he was um, vaccine damaged in uh, on the autism spectrum 
Asperger's sensory integration. You can even you know tell by the picture. If you met him today, uh, you would say, "Holy cow!" You wouldn't even know. He's he's just uh, an amazing, amazing young man. I mean, has his own business going. I mean, just incredible. Lives in San Diego. But the point is this: uh, you know, fixing his membranes with these fats was, I would say, the the tipping point for him. Because I was, we were doing some detox and things, and it just wasn't resonating. It wasn't. It was because of him. I mean, I took some of my knowledge in getting my own life back to that, but it was really him that convinced me that the trick was in the fats. And boy, I had that poor boy eating fats like nobody's business. And you know, he would cry. And I remember the day I sat down beside him and said, "Okay, do, do you want to get well?" You know, and I said, "You're going to have to trust me." I mean, he remembers that day, by wow. the way, that I had that conversation. Yeah, and so he was slugging down these some of these things that I concocted. But Dylan's a, an amazing child today, so that's how important that is. <laughs> Asperger's runs in my family. It, it's not common to have a grandmother with an advanced degree in nuclear engineering. <laughs> if you look at engineers, you see a lot of a lot of people on the spectrum like that. And of all my aunts and uncles on that side, uh, six of seven uh, test relatively high. I had. Asperger's, I wasn't formally diagnosed, but certainly behavioral stuff, OCD, ODD, all those things. And when I started tweaking my fats and getting rid of some of the toxins, my brain changed. And I'm a very different, like neurological, but even just emotionally different human being because of all this detox stuff. So yeah. it, it absolutely works. And what I, I see happen over and over uh, with, with very successful people as well as uh, people who are just working on being successful. And success isn't economic success. It's people who are you know, succeeding at doing what they want to do, you know, whether it's, it's parenting or teaching or uh, you know, whatever, whatever is important. And they're feeling great. Everything's working. And then all of a sudden, like everything quit working. Yeah. And, and it's almost always a toxin. Sometimes they got sick. And a lot of the it's diseases... True. The bacteria make a toxin that causes cell membrane dysfunction. It's called LPS. Absolutely. And then it's still a toxin issue. It's just generated on board versus from the environment. And when they, they get stuck in this for six months or sometimes like I was for years until you figure out like you were too. Yeah. Then they, they get inspired to do this. But I want people to not have that happen in the first place. Mm. What are the protective things that you might be able to do if you're like, all right, I want this kind of shield walking around with me so that if and when I am exposed to toxins that we know are a normal part of, of just being in the world, um, that I'm going to have extra resilience ahead of time. What are like the lowest hanging fruits? What are the things I can do or anyone listening can do right now uh, to, mm -hmm. uh, to have that shield? Yeah. I mean, I, I think when we talk about what we're doing day and day, I, of course the fats, by the way, I, you know, that's a really important shield yeah. because the blood brain barrier, your gut barriers, I mean, these are fat barriers, right? And your cell membrane is a fat barrier. So, uh, we, we hit that conversation. However, well, let's put it in this category okay. as well. So eat more yes. fat. All right. I gotcha. I believe that. Okay. A absolutely. Of course you do. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think again, I, I do my detox represents, uh, there's a preparatory phase. There's a body phase. Then there's a brain phase. To this day, I still do brain phases periodically, you know, because I don't care. You made the point earlier that no matter what we do, we're exposed. I got my life back. So, I mean, periodic brain phases, but things like far infrared saunas, you know, keep a detox pathway open, right? I mean, it does. I, I do coffee enemas. I mean, I, I, I do it uh, periodically as well. Keep my liver opened up. Uh, you know, so uh, all these things that we're talking about self-function, my five R's. I mean, I take many of these formulas to keep my cells functioning. 
that is my guard, right? I mean, this is no matter what, we're going to be exposed. You know, your carbon product. I mean, these things you know, keep your bile moving out so you're not auto-intoxicating. I think that's a huge thing um, that you can do. Something very simple to keep bi toxic bile moving out um, is a big deal. Avoidance. I mean, I, again, I, I think that's huge, right? I mean, we have to look at the toxic top 10 in our life and make those changes. Every one of you listening should, if you haven't, do that. And I think most of your listeners have, but we need to. Do you recommend uh, periodic chelation therapy, things like EDTA or DMPS or DMSA? Th these are compounds. If, if you're not familiar mm -hmm. listening to this, if you're out of the field of medicine and you haven't been really sick, you don't know what these are. These are things that are used to, to heavily and aggressively bind to metals in the body to cause you to poop right. or pee them out. And I've often wondered, is there a case for relatively healthy people to do a course of this you know, every six months or something just to keep levels low? Or is this something that you would hold off for if you're really sick? Well, you know, I love this topic, you know, because, you know, it's controversial at, at number one. Oh, yeah. So let, let's go there. But, you know, what, what I, I have three things that I call real detox. Number one, it's not real unless you get up to the cell. But real detox has to be at the cell as a starting point. We have to open up and keep downstream detox pathways open. Uh, as a second point of what real detox is. And thirdly, we have to use true binders, and that's the topic you're bringing up. So I said that from the cell out, we use true binders. And one is a, a one called cytodetox. It has ability to penetrate some of these cell membranes. I love DMSA. Is cytodetox a product that you make, or is this one you use? It, it, it's one that you know we brought out um, and you know, I, it's a product that, um, really came out of some newer technology. It, it's basically for people listening, it's micro particles of, uh, zeolite clay. Yeah. Um, and by the way, not all of those are created equal. <laughs> yeah. I, I did use cytodetox for a while and I never, I just, I know a lot of people like, um, like I felt it and I'm like, I kind of did half the bottle and I still didn't feel it. So maybe I didn't have anything to deal with at that point or it was too deeply yeah. bound, but. It, it, it's a binder, you know, okay. it no doubt holds on and doesn't let go, but that's only part of their detox. Okay. You know, we upregulate cell functional, we use the, a real binder, but, but we also, I love DMSA as a binder, but I don't like the injectable. Here's why, whether it's DMSA, DMPS or EDTA, you mentioned uh, a couple of those, those are real chelators. Okay. Which is, you know, no doubt they work, they hold on, they grab hard, but typically, they're used incorrectly. So if you do an IV, for example, of say DMPS or EDTA, it goes in, it grabs, and it goes away and pulls a lot out at once. The problem is, is it sets up a concentration gradient. The body keeps releasing metal and people can get very sick. They don't typically get sick from the agent. They get sick from the redistribution of metals. So therefore, if you take them underneath their half-life in the body, you can minimize a lot of that problem. So DMPS, for example, you have to take it every eight hours to minimize that and take it for at least three days. So we, when we use that as a group of doctors, um, we use it within its half-life and we use it correctly in this whole system, by the way, that I'm talking about, using binders in the gut, upregulating cell function. But DMPS can be used to help these things move out of the body. DMSA has to be taken every four hours. So you this have is to basically Andy Andy Cutler's protocols you're talking Andy about. Andy Cutler was right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And in he did he didn't do it within this whole system that no. we do, but at least he used the binders correctly. And I, I can tell you from clinical experience, I'm not a guy that hangs around in the laboratory, but I am a guy who trains you know, hundreds of doctors around the country. So we have a lot of experience using different binders 
you know, then there's the binders. This is another topic. Then you have Corella, which it binds, but it's not a really strong binder. Yeah. So it can create redistribution. I would put cilantro in that category as well. So number one, you have to use a real binder. You have to use it correctly. And you have to use it in the system that we're describing, that I describe as true cellular detox. Then we can have the, you know, a, a, a much better outcome without having redistribution and creating more problems. I want to double down on that. So I, I do regular uh, chelation like a couple times a year because I think it's, it's worthwhile and I know what happens when my metal levels get high. So uh, I did this uh, a, I don't know, a couple months ago and I did uh, EDTA, not intravenously, but I forgot to take uh, charcoal or any other gut binders and it absolutely <laughs> redistributed stuff. And, absolutely. and like, I'm like, oh, wow, there's that pain in my upper back that I've, I just dealt with half my life. It came back, right? It'll go away in another little while. Little while. I'm just binding the toxins again. But all I had to do was stack the protocols properly and it wouldn't happen. And, you know, I That's literally right. just didn't think of it before I went to bed. I needed to take a handful of another supplement. Now, one group of people listening is like, what the hell are these guys talking about? I like, know. I, I was fearing that, actually. But, <laughs> but it, look, here's the deal. I don't know. I feel like I'm kicking ass. I'm a hundred pounds less fat than I used to be. Like I'm like writing books and a podcast and I'm a dad and running Bulletproof and, and helping a lot of people. And I have more energy at 46 than I ever have. And I will do anything, anything necessary to maintain that it is the most precious thing on earth, right? If you don't have all of your energy and, and if you're listening, you probably don't even know what all your energy feels like. Cause you probably never had it. It's true. And, and so, yeah, it's, that's unusual and not everyone needs to do what I'm doing. Um, but if you're if you don't like the level you're running at right now and, and you feel like you're you have the accelerator all the way down, you're not going any faster, something's wrong and it's probably toxin related. And, and so mm. I I wanted to talk about this, Dr. Pompa, because yeah, people need to know. Like, like, okay, granted, I'm I'm a professional biohacker on the fringes, but millions and millions and millions of people have done chelation and yeah. they've had great results from it, even if you go to your regular doctor and they say, oh, chelation's a scam. <laughs> Like, no, I'm sorry. There's abundant mm. evidence the military uses chelation when people get depleted uranium poisoning and cadmium poisoning. Like, it works. It's, we've known about it yeah. for 50 years. Uh, listen, I, I do probably six of my brain phases using these chelators. I'll combine the cytodetox with DMSA or DMPS uh, with the cellular stuff that we do with the gut binders. I do that at least six times a year. When I was getting my life back, I did it consistently brain phases consistently for two years. And I would say purposely more inconsistently for another two years after that. So, you know, I mean, look, that's what it took to get my life back. But like you, I'm never going back. I'm 52. I'm more, I have better health, more energy. I mean, uh, you know, at 52 than I was in my twenties and thirties. And that's the truth. I'm leaner now than I was in my twenties. <laughs> Because again, it's all about the cell. How do you stay lean old? The fact is you're going to get fat as you get older and it's harder. It's baloney. You know, my cell function is that good that I'm an efficient, fat adapted, fat burning machine, but I've earned it, Dave, just like you've earned it. Right. Yeah. You know, I was there. I was sick at one point in my life and I'm never going back. And I love the, the high function that I have. But detox is a massive portion you know, of what I do every day. Very well said. So now if you're listening, hopefully you feel a little bit bad that you were thinking that this is so wacky and now you're like, I should go do it. I'm just kidding. Uh, but the the idea here is that you don't have to be super aggressive with coffee enemas and intravenous or oral chelators on a regular basis. Uh, but knowing that this matters, there are probably some simple things you can do. Uh, Dr. Pompa, yeah. you mentioned chlorella. 
uh, for years, uh, I've been, when I eat sushi, I take chlorella because sushi fish has mercury in it and chlorella can bind to mercury. And the way I, I, I thought about this, geez, a long time ago, and I was doing a lot of yoga at the time. And I noticed I could do a wood-legged pose with my eyes closed, which is usually you tip over and you do that. And I was good at it. But if I ate sushi the night before, I would always like tip over. I'm like, wait, okay, I'm at a weird event correlation machine in my head. So uh, there is a thing I kind of tested. I said, all right, this is a factor I didn't know about for my subtle ability to balance. And I found if I could take chlorella with the sushi that I was probably pooping out the mercury instead of absorbing it. And it wasn't affecting me neurologically. Uh, so, I mean, I use, I recommend that. Do you think chlorella is strong enough to eat with fish or do you need something stronger if you're going to eat food that you know has mercury in it? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's really strong enough systemically. No, not systemically, um, just to bind yeah, it in, the, in gut. the gut. Yeah, yeah but, I, you know, honestly, I, I think that in the gut, I think you're better off with it. And using it with your charcoal, uh, using it with another gut binder would be another great, uh, you know, combination between the two. Because oftentimes, again, there's organics and inorganics, uh, you know, that can be stirred up and redistributed. So taking it with some other binders would be another great, uh, great combination. Oh, well, th- th- there you go. And does this mean that people listening should never eat fish without binders? Yeah, no. I exactly. mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, some people are going to be genetically better to get rid of it uh, than others as well. But yeah, absolutely not. Um, but you and I do. Because <laughs> I, I don't ever want to go back, you yeah. know, and again, there's a certain level of mercury that, you know, genetically, maybe I'm not so good at getting rid of it. Maybe I reabsorb mostly. But listen, we don't have leaky gut like I did when I was sick. Yeah. So the chances of us redistributing uh, or reabsorbing some mercury is far less than others. But if you do have leaky gut, which basically 95 percent of America does. Yeah, I'd be a little cautious. Let's talk about genetics uh, for a little while. There's an interesting study of people who work in a mercury mine. And what they found is most of them had no problem at all. So they're like, well, there you go. Mercury is not poisonous. But then they looked at the number of people who started and quit after a month. And that changed the data very substantially because it turns out the people who are genetically able to handle it could work in the mine and do well. Other people are like, I'm out of here. Like, I, I'm too sick. I can't work. So there's a pretty broad distribution. Some people are great methylators. They're just great at excreting toxins. They, it seems like they can you know, swim in mercury and lead and you know, spray it out of their mouth like in a Cinderella movie or something, and, and it just doesn't affect them. What makes them like superhuman detoxers, and how do I get some of that? Yeah, right. I mean, I, you know, I think that uh, we're still discovering a lot of that. Honestly, we used to think it was you know, these genes and, you know, this SNP and just methylation and we're learning more. It's a lot more complicated than you think. But, you know, a lot of it too is other burdens, other body burdens of toxins, right? So you have a genetic component. Some people, no doubt, genetically have better pathways of getting rid of it. But some people also have other stressors, physical, chemical, or emotional, that now they don't get rid of certain stressors, right? Meaning they're working in the mind and that one thing sends their bucket overflowing. So, Total exposure plays a role. Genetics plays a role. Uh, no doubt someone has leaky gut uh, can play a role. They're absorbing more of it. But you know what? I, I know that. I actually know some of those studies you referenced. And, you know, w- an interesting thing, because what they find is a lot of those people, they bioaccumulate it. They bury it, so to speak, right? Only to come out later. And all of a sudden now they end up with Alzheimer's, they end up with MS, they end up, you know, so I think how the body handles toxins becomes a whole nother topic um, of, you know, what ends up happening later to those people. 
Uh, I think how we handle toxins is very different. So arguably, sometimes the more sensitive person actually lives longer, <laughs> you know, because I mean, so there's another way of looking at that uh, as far as what is the body doing and you know, what will happen later to their life. Unquestionably, you can learn what it feels like to be toxic and you can develop uh, the ability to be like, I don't exactly know why, but my body's telling me not to do that. Mm-hmm. In, in my case, I, I've spent a lot of time with people who've been exposed to toxic molds. You live in a water damaged building, yep. mold will very effectively turn off your detox pathways. So then everything else, everything That's else. That's what I was talking about. Like mercury sticks in you. Or heck, just childhood trauma. I, I've, I've worked with people. That's what I'm talking about. They're like, you know, when someone does a psychotherapy or transpersonal uh, workshops or whatever, suddenly the level of mercury they excrete when they're detoxing is five times higher than it was before they let go of a childhood trauma. And like, it's so complex, but your body holds onto this stuff and your body will tell you when you're getting more. But for me... I, as an engineer, I'm like every signal below the neck from the body is just noise. Like it's all about thinking. And over the years of just personal development work, like, no, there's a great and fine-tuned environmental sensor. It's your onboard hardware that'll tell you if you have an intuition, you don't want to eat that. It's okay to just not eat that. And it has nothing to do with flavor. And I find that kids under five, they routinely know. Like, like, I don't want the broccoli today. Like, I don't know. It turns out the broccoli was maybe not that fresh, right? You make them eat it and then they feel like crap and they get digestive problems that that night. Like, oh, they knew, but we know as well. And I would encourage people listening. Hey, if if you just have an intuition that says like this, this food or this building or, you know, licking this lead pipe isn't a good thing for me, uh, maybe you ought to just listen to that intuition because it's not going to harm you to listen. And maybe it's all in your head. uh, And in which case you didn't do any harm. I love that. There's uh, a principle that I teach called diet variation, and it's uh, oftentimes not what you think. And I, I also refer to it, AK, as feast-famine cycles. One of the things that I had learned was some of the criticism of staying in ketosis or a low-carbohydrate diet is, is that women with thyroid uh, can't intermittent fast or stay in ketosis or hormone challenges. And one of the breakthroughs we had was uh, it was something my wife and my son's girlfriend were having a conversation about the week before their period and they get the cravings. And my response was what you just said. Well, listen to that. They get the carbohydrate cravings. Listen to that. So they did. And the feedback was actually tremendous. So with my group of doctors, I said, you know, try this. You have your low carb group. Try one week before their period. Put them on a high healthy carbohydrate diet. Eat more yams, sweet potatoes, you know, of berries, et cetera. And, you know, sure enough, magic happens. So we do that even weekly. Oftentimes we put those higher feast days in with famine days and it, and it works. We're emulating our ancestors. But you have to understand, I mean, what happens is if you get chronically low insulin for a long period of time, you need insulin to make hormone conversions from yes. T4 to T3, right? That's thyroid hormone to use that example. <laughs> T4 to T3, the active form is T3. Insulin plays a role in that conversion. So when insulin gets very low and you have high heavy metals, you're not making that conversion. So having those popping that insulin up, you don't have to keep it up all the time, but even just for one week a month, it'll transform your hormones for the rest of the month. So diet variation, feast famine cycles is something we learned as a group of doctors that just works. So it's, it's, an, it's an answer to that. That's why uh, the, the Bulletproof Diet is based on cyclical, low-toxin, ketogenic stuff. And it has to be cyclical. And 
And yeah. I, like, I'll post pictures of me eating sushi, and, and I'm pouring brain octane on there. there. It converts to ketones. So I know I have some ketones, but I'm eating carbs, which, yes, I have some insulin. It's not going to cause a huge spike because I'm eating it with fat and because it's not that much rice. People are like, how dare you eat rice? I'm like, guys, like, did mm. you read the book? It's actually, you need some of this. And it's yeah. cycling is okay. Go three, four days with no carbs, but then have a day of carbs. But don't eat I do. Snickers and cheesecake and beer and pizza. That's not low toxin carbs. And you, you do the cycling, everything works. And if you're all keto all the time, uh, I, I know a few people who just kick ass in that state. And I'm blown away by them, but I, their gut bacteria just can't be very healthy. Their detox pathways over time can't be. And, and women, I think, are more sensitive than men, in, in my experience, just working with a lot of people. I agree. Do, I was going to say, do you see variations between carb and fat sensitivity amongst women and men? Yeah, no, I think they are more sensitive, especially today, because uh, they're the, the hormone, like we just explained with thyroid hormone, you know, oftentimes they're having a need at different times for more hormone more hormones, you know, during their period, et cetera. And therefore they need that insulin at times, right? So therefore their body does give them cravings. So putting them in a low carb situation permanently too long will affect the women more even than men. I'm convinced that there's actually carb and nutrient and even fasting timing that would most be functional for women if you synchronize it with the monthly hormonal cycles. I don't have the research done on that yet, but I'm talking with you know, my wife, Dr. Lana, who does a lot of fertility uh, consulting for you know, CEO types. Uh, and I, I think there's a right answer that says, you know, having more carbs on whatever day, 22 or, you know, I, I don't know what day, I'm just making that up, but like there's different days of the cycle where you're like, okay, something's happening biologically and there's probably a detox thing yeah. too where chelating at a certain point of your cycle or, or binding toxins is going to matter more. Do you know when you should bind on where, where in the cycle? Clinically, what we found was, you know, listen to your cravings, right? That okay. week before the period or even when you're more hormonally, right? So if you have PMS the week before, some have that more during the week. So really that's all we've narrowed down. And then the, the topic becomes men. I, I say men, you have a hormonal week too. If you pay attention, ask your wives, ask your girlfriends, whatever it is. It's like, you know, you find out when that time where you're most moody. And oftentimes it goes right along with your wife's cycle. <laughs> but um, those are the times where it's really good to shift your diet, you know, increase your healthy carbs. You know, that's what we found clinically. And listen, you know, uh, this is what happens. You know, all the body, the cells can use two things for energy, sugar and fat. When we get to the, the body so efficient at using fat, eventually it says, wait a minute, you know, I want to survive. That's its number one yeah. you know, goal in life is to survive. So it will say, I'm going to slow down my fat metabolism because right? it's a fuel that I, I may need to survive and, and to live and to run from a lion, whatever it needs. But it wants to slow down its number one fuel source. So what it does, it'll blunt the insulin receptors just to slow down that fat. It, it'll even plug puts water into fat cells. And that's when you start getting that kind of dimply fat that you don't like. I don't yep. care how skinny you are. <laughs> we will get it. Happened to me. But when we put in these days where we feast and throw healthy carbs at it, even once a week, it does work, Dave. It does. Oh, yeah. You know, once I, a week is what I recommend. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. it, it. It's like, I mean, I'm telling you, the bodybuilders knew this stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, but it works because it, all it does is it reminds your body that it's not starving. You know, that's it. It's like, hey, you have more. We have plenty. So it fires up that fat burning machine again. But throw in some fast days or low protein days a week. Feast famine. It really that that change causes what I it, like what I like to call hormone optimization. 
when every time you force your body to change like that, hormones have to be optimized to make that change. Your microbiome has to be optimized. So you're forcing adaptation, but you're forcing a hormone optimization. That's why these feast famine cycles, even during the week or monthly, seasonally, they work. What this has done uh, for me is interesting. I recently had a bunch of blood work done, although I could, I guess I could say that almost every month I could, <laughs> I recently had a bunch of blood work done, but um, they tested my insulin sensitivity and it goes on a scale of one to 160. And I had perfect insulin sensitivity. Now, people who are on long-term low-carb diets typically get insulin resistant for a while. That's right. So I, I was, was quite sensitive, which is what you want to be. But normally, if you're that sensitive to insulin, your glucose tolerance is relatively low, which means your ability to, ha to have glucose in the body, like glucose will knock you out. But my glucose tolerance was medium high. And when they saw these labs, they're like, this doesn't make any sense. You're not supposed to be able to be insulin sensitive and glucose tolerant. And like, yes, that's what metabolic flexibility is called. Absolutely. That's what functioning cell membranes are called. And I think this is something that everyone listening uh, should strive for which is the ability to be just a, an amazing fat burner. And you gotta be burning the right fats or it doesn't work. And you wanna be able to handle carbs. But if you eat carbs that are laced with all sorts of artificial crap and corn syrup and glyphosate and just you know, who knows what else is in there, um, you're probably not gonna get what you want out of it either. So it, it's like, right. there, is, there is no shorter way of saying it than that, that I know of. And do you know of a shorter mm. way? No. And, you know, and I love what you said, though, because the metabolic flexibility is the key, right? So if I'm eating carbs, I burn them and I use them and, yeah. and the, a healthy body can, you know, go back and forth between these energy sources. And I believe this diet variation feast famine cycles is a way to build up that flexibility, which brings us to the conversation of fasting, which you and I love. And, um, you know, I, I love intermittent fasting. I, I love uh, block fasting or extended fasting periodically. And when we look at our ancestors, they were forced to do these things. Uh, I had the opportunity of visiting a tribe in Africa. They had just recently come out of the mountains. It was in Zimbabwe. And I, I visited them three times. But the first time it was really unique because uh, I first thing I said were, where are all the men? Uh, you know, it's like I saw women and children. They're, oh, they're out hunting and they get up at four in the morning when it's cooler and they go and they go all day. I said, gosh, you know, what do they eat? How do they bring food? Why? They said, yeah, they don't eat. So they, this tribe literally ate one meal a day. I mean, granted, it was three hours. So whether it started at three or four in the afternoon and went for three hours, they ate, right? Very similar to my Italian an ancestors. Mm -hmm. But in, um, in the women gathered all day. But so this was the first, you know, experience I had with intermittent fasting. Back then, I was probably talking about eating four, six meals a day. I, I don't know. You know? <laughs> so I have a saying, you don't want to eat less, you want to eat less often. That's what they did. And uh, they had no disease. And these, these gentlemen, uh, there were athletes who would go all day fat adapted, and then they would come home and they would feast. I mean, it was, it was a remarkable experience uh, to see that. And believe me, you know, when they had more carbs, I'm sure they ate them. And when they didn't, they were also forced in many times of fasting, by the way. So uh, I believe that we can emulate that um, today. We need to, I believe. We, we can and we'll live longer, but more importantly than just living longer, like you'll have more energy now, which, which is oh, yeah. where it lives. Speaking of having energy and things like that, uh, we're coming up on the end, end of the interview and I want to ask you that Bulletproof Radio question. <laughs> if someone came to you tomorrow, Dr. Pompa, and said, look, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, what are your three most important pieces of advice for me? What would you offer them? 
gosh, we hit them all. Uh, you know, detox, you and I detox, right? We, you know, cellular detox, I'll be more specific, um, is, is the key today. I believe that I really do. Uh, I believe in, we said about your fats, pay attention, even you healthy people about these hidden damaging fats, these fragile fats, whether it's the fish oil you're putting in your mouth, whether it's the omega six, the vegetables, pay attention, 132 days of dysfunction. You don't want it. You don't need it. And I believe incorporating uh, these ancestral uh, ancient healing strategies is critical. Ketosis is one of them, right? You said you, you, know, you always have some ketones, whether you know, higher levels, lower levels. I believe today we should do this. Ancestors were forced. Fasting, intermittently extended fast. I believe our ancestors were forced to do that. I, it resets our DNA. It creates autophagy right, where your body gets rid of all the bad cells and it, then it activates stem cells that we need for healing. You know, I put myself and so do you in those states to create that type of healing that comes from the innate intelligence that's in every one of us. So by removing the interference through de cellular detox, our innate intelligence has the ability to heal and survive and live 100 plus years healthy, not just live it. If we put these right fats in that are crucial for the membranes, We'll hit 100 plus years. It's that that important. And if we practice these ancient healing strategies, these fasting strategies that create this autophagy, getting rid of the bad cells that we all create, activating our stem cells that people will pay thousands of dollars to get injected. And, and you and I may do those things, but we can create them naturally through a state of autophagy by fasting and implementing fasting yeah. in our cycles. You know, and now we're getting rid of bad cells and creating new ones. You know, I, I believe those three things will transform your life and your health. Uh, very, very well said. Uh, love that answer. Definitely a true biohacking answer. And I, I, just to double down on that, here's the deal. You want to be a better human being, it takes work. And work comes from energy, and energy comes from cell membranes. If they're not working, your cell membranes don't allow oxygen and nutrients into the cells and they can't use them. So like all the power of everything you do comes from what Dr. Pompa just talked about there. And that's why that's a very nuanced and very biohacker and, and kind of biochemist answer. But I would double down on that. I think it's great advice. Uh, Dr. Pompa, thanks for being on the show. Where can people find out more about you, your work, et cetera? Yeah, it's DR, like doctor, DR, then my last name, P-O-M-P-A.com. And you can connect with my Facebooks, which, by the way, we have over 3,000 people doing fast with, uh, with our Facebook. So uh, we have a growing group called Fasting for a Purpose. But drpompa.com, you'll hear all my articles and my, my podcast, uh, Cellular Healing uh, TV. So join us there for sure. Beautiful. Hey, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Thanks for pushing the world forward on these relatively unknown but shockingly important things. Uh, you're, you're doing the right kind of work. Thank you, Dave. So are you. So thank you for your work and your contribution. Man. Oh, thanks. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to, say, Amazon and leave a review for one of my books or for Dr. Pompa's book or head on over to iTunes and leave a review. One of the quickest things you can do to make yourself have more energy and just be a good human being is to bring gratitude into your life. And when you leave a good review, you're showing gratitude. And hey, I'm grateful for it. So you just got a double the ROI on that, right? Anyway, uh, if you appreciate this kind of work, you appreciate Dr. Pompa's work, just say thanks and say it in a public way where we can count it so we know we're doing the right thing. Thank you.
human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.